0: From New York City, a podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc podcast. Today, around the table, we have
2: Jen Reichert. I'm a writer. Jenny Curlin. I'm an actor. Kerry Flanagan, I'm an actor.
1: And Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and director. Today, we're going to be talking about making your character's life offstage real for you. We have talked in the past about the importance of character history and having a expansive and vivid and detailed picture of what your character's life was like before the action of the play began. We're going to talk today about how that expands into the time that your character spends off stage during the course of the play. Again, characters have hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of hours in their lives and we spend about two or three of it with them. And it's important in order to fill them out to be able to fill out for yourself what happens in those hours that we don't watch because those hours, of course, are going to impact the hours that we do watch. So that said, why is it important when we talk about that, about having and creating specific circumstances to respond to rather than simply having a generic idea about what happened? Uh, To put it another way, what is the difference between saying my character is walking in this scene and has had a bad day and walking into the scene knowing what has happened to that person in that day that has made it a bad day?
3: My first thought, I, I think that uh, a lot of people, human beings, that is, uh, <laughs> spend a lot of their time, a lot of their time looking forward. This is just becoming clear to me. Looking forward uh, to the, even the next hour or what's, or, or what's gonna happen over the course of the rest of their day. If you come in with very specific ideas of things that have happened, the very specific things that have made the day bad, good, whatever, right before the moment of the scene, it it allows you to set up very specific expectations about what's going to happen in the next hour of your life or once you walk through the door or because you're reacting very directly to something that has just happened versus an idea of, well, today was bad or today was Mm -hmm.
0: tiresome or whatever. Because those things is, yeah. are what give it yeah. importance, you know. Yeah. I just you, locked
3: my keys in the car. My only set of keys, and so <laughs> that's on your than... mind as you're
0: trying to do something else, or it's you know, it's what especially makes if you expect there to for... be a spare set of keys in the apartment you're walking into, right? Or or like how you expect people to <laughs> behave towards you because of what's happened before. If it's been a great day and you want to share it with people, and you come in and it doesn't happen that way, that you know. That's how your actions are defined, is by how you expect your day to continue. So, you know, if you if you have a certain trajectory into the scene, that is, you know, affected by what specifically happened to you, and not just this, like, oh, I'm sad because it's been bad today. <laughs> like, you know, there's a it, there's a like a sense of justice of how in, or injustice of how bad it's been, or you know, of elation or, like, of, like, all the great things. Or even the mix, like, you know, of, of the various things that have happened. Or even, like, the moment before is really important, too. Like, what just happened to you right before the lights came up.
1: Yes, and by the same token, unless you have a specific circumstances that you're reacting to with, as, as you said, Carrie, the expectation that that creates you have no measure of whether or not what happens in that scene is making your day better or worse. If it's just a generic uh, thing that you, again, are existing solely in the the hours of the play, in the moments that we're watching on the play, if the only thing that you had, quote-unquote, a bad day, is giving you a baseline of where you walk in. But if, again, the example is you've locked your keys in the car, well... If you're coming in in here looking for your keys, and there's a person who is wanting something else, wanting you to leave someplace with them, wanting you to take them someplace, you, that is going to change, the, or making it so it no longer, so it becomes less urgent to get to the place that you thought you had to get to, and more urgent to deal with something else. Again, that's the way that we experience life. We experience life in light of the things that have come before, in light of the place that we're coming from, in light of the place that we're hoping to go to, and again, it makes your actions as a character more authentic and more natural to what a person would do if you are giving your character as much information to work with. It essentially becomes the fuel to behave naturally.
2: Well, I like what you said, Carrie. About it allows you literally to to move forward during the scene and throughout the rest of the play. It's not getting into a room and jump starting yourself or coming up with things in the moment that to to do. You're you're fueled by something, and it's a trajectory that you're on. And you may get way later or, or or stopped. Stopped. Anyway. Yeah. But but you have you have a course that you you're have following. an
0: incoming force with you.
3: It also, and like with what you said, it can, the thing you bring in the room with you can remain the most important thing or you could be, you could be confronted with something that supersedes its, that's important, uh, its importance and it changes your tactics about how you're going to continue going about your life in the next five minutes when something new presents itself that's actually bigger than what you expected. (laughs)
1: Well, there's a degree to which it is in part an extension of kind of Meisner-related work where some of the exercises that you do with Meisner is where you have an activity that you need to complete while you're doing this scene with a person. That there's actually something else that is of of serious importance to you that you must deal with in the face of also dealing with what the scene is demanding of you. And again, to have the specific events of what has led up in your day to you coming into this room. You know, those can provide, again, a, a counterbalance to what's happening and, and essentially act in, in either as an obstacle for you, which can be very useful, or as something that provides a driving force for why it's important for you to achieve, to achieve the thing that you have in the room, or providing you information that you can use as a tool to get the thing that you want when you're in the room. But essentially, it is information that you have to use in any number of different ways, because again, that's what people do: is they use the information.
0: And that the information doesn't have to be unrelated to what's in the play. It could be that you that you know you, the scene is about confronting your brother. There could have been a series of things that you did today to prepare for confronting your brother. You know, even as far as like you, you bought yourself a you know a muffin that you wanted because you deserved it and because you're doing this hard thing, or You know, you rehearsed a speech or, you know, these are things that you specifically did to get ready to do this, not to do the scene, to, to have this discussion or they, they can be, but there were other things that happened in your day also. So it could be a combination of things that relate to the circumstances of, of the play that you're doing and also things that are just part of your life.
3: I also find too that like with the exercise you were talking about where you are actual given a physical activity, or something that you you infuse with a lot of import, and that's what you're doing in the scene, and you're also dealing with this other thing. I think that's a great exercise when you're first starting out a scene, because you might not be clear in, on what is the event of the scene, what is the thing that stops and pulls your attention and, and is why you're there. And I always found those exercises useful, too, because there comes a point when you have to stop you know, putting that piece of paper you tore up together because something much more important is happening. And it just highlights that. Exercises like that highlight that for me. What is the most important thing that's being said or happening?
1: And it also, again, can help you to have a clearer idea of what it is, as specifically as possible, that you need. What is it that you've learned since the last scene that makes this scene you're in different than the one that happened before? I mean I will actually say speaking as a playwright as a general rule if there are two characters for instance having a conversation that occurs in two scenes rather than in one scene. The reason they don't occur in the same scene is because there needs to be something that happens in between that necessitates a change which then leads to what happens in the next scene. And again the more specific you can be about what that is among other things it can help you be very clear about what you are trying to articulate. Because I think it's something we've talked about on other episodes, which is important, is that you shouldn't take for granted that what your character says is what they have to say. You know, and that can take a number of different forms, including, it can actually be a really great thing when you know that you have something that you want to say, but you're only given the words that the playwright has given you. Because then it makes it incredibly active, when you are actually trying to bend those words into saying the thing that you really want to say. And again, the more clear a picture you have of what it is that has driven you to this place and driven you to need the thing that you want, the more specific a thing you will have to say. And, you know, the more interesting things you will have to do with the language in order to try to make the language that you are given say the thing that you really want to say and again that's really what creates interesting characterization in very many ways and 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 that feeling that i always get from my favorite performances which is there is more going on for this person than what we've seen it 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 really helps i think to connect the audience and make it an active watching experience if they if if the audience doesn't feel like everything that happens in the story, I'm going to be shown. That there are parts of the story that happen off stage that are just as real for the actors and just as real for the characters as the parts that are on stage. And the audience can feel that. And it makes them feel like they need to pay special attention. They need to be watching and decoding the action and decoding reactions in order to get the whole story. And it makes it, I think, a much more active and meaningful watching experience and listening experience for an audience than one that simply puts the importance on the stuff that we see.
2: And I actually think it's a lot of fun. I find it fun as an actor if the play basically dictates what you've done in the meantime between scenes. Like if if you come in... And the character that you're with says, "Well, how is the doctor's office?" You know, you know, technically with the story that you've been to the doctor. But there's so much information that you can fill in, either you know something that happened to your character on the way to the doctor or at the doctor, or just surrounding or, you know, building the life. you weren't really at the doctor. I wasn't really at the doctor. There's so much Yeah, exactly. and there's so much that you can create and there's so much freedom in that that can inform inform how you enter the scene.
1: Well, that's something, actually, Carrie, I wonder if you could talk about, because I know it's something that's true about you, (laughs) that you, I think, your characters tend to be lying almost all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And why is that? And why is that helpful for you?
3: Because, it's helpful for me because I I do think most people lie a lot, but uh, (laughs) I, uh, it adds a color for me because it becomes a very specific obstacle. If you've, created, if you've created for yourself that the words that are coming out of your mouth are not necessarily the truth, you have to convince the person that you're talking to that they are. So it just becomes the easiest, most streamlined, to me, most layered and interesting way of going about it. And once I decide in a script what is not true, and it could be the most mundane, random line, it pops open a whole door of what happened to that person in their life and in the day. Mm. Just when you start to question, it's like in life when you start to question people's word. It just starts spinning a whole new cycle of thought about what's really going on with somebody.
1: Well, that actually is really interesting because it actually is an issue that is a very real issue in very many plays, which is what is the truth? what is true, what, what, and, and who is the holder of the truth. And I think an, an interesting example of that is, is Glengarry Glen Ross, where in the first act you see people talking about possibly robbing the office, and in the second act it has been robbed. And we see two things happen. One is Arano and Moss, who are the people who we knew were planning to rob the office, being interrogated by the police. And it turns out that Arano actually did not do it had nothing to do with it, but he, they, they're not believing him. And then you have Levine, who in the interim between the acts was convinced to rob the office and did do it, but is not being suspected in the course of the play and ends up in the end tripping himself up. But it's incredibly important, I think, to play the reality of that. It's not simply enough because it wouldn't be enough for you if you were in that situation, if you were Arano, to know you didn't rob the office. What you would know is what you did do. I did do this. I was at home. I know what I watched on television. I didn't rob the office because I did do this. And I think very often it can be an easy trap to play the negative. Just what's important there is what he didn't do. But it's going to be a much more full um, performance If the character is doing exactly what a person would be doing, which is be able to recount for themselves Step-by-step how they couldn't possibly have done this and by the same token for Levine who knows he did do it and as it turns out makes him feel fairly cocky And he's kind of you know taking shots at people To be sure that he is aware of the fact that he did do it. What places in the play is he? Does he realize he almost gives himself away and takes a pull back? Because You know, that aren't necessarily dictated in the script. But again, it's going to be a much more textured performance if he has a very clear idea of what the truth is of what happened last night.
3: And especially if you... I mean, if it's right in the text. This is interesting to me right now. If it's right in the text that you... Are the one who's being deceitful. You are like it's right in the story. You are the one who is being the liar. The more specific you can be with what happened, what what it is you did, and all the stories you're creating to convince people you haven't in the other scenes, a little line like "I like coffee" <laughs> could be so riddled with so much if somewhere in your backstory you had said you didn't like, or like, or something that, that, some little line like that could be something that could open you up to being figured out. But that would be all based on all the work you did before.
0: Yeah. And when, and when you're being deceitful, like when you are trying to appear innocent, it's like, you also have to like chime into the conversation at times. Like, it's like, you're trying to like decide when's the most, you know when you have to say something because people would be expecting you to say something at that point and if you don't say something it's suspicious it's going to be <laughs> suspicious so it's like trying not to be suspicious is also creating this like layer of like you said that the other layer of story of like what is the what is the story you're trying to project over what actually happened trying to like yeah mm-hmm. keep that
1: and i think it's also important to keep in mind i think it was sort of referenced a moment ago but that you are not beholden to what it says happened in the script what your character describes as happening may have happened or it may not have or it may have happened in a slightly different way there might be important information that you're leaving out and that's an important thing to know as a character at what point am i jumping over a part of the story that happened um... i mean glengarry glenross is to to keep that example going is that there are obviously last night we know that Shelley robbed the office and he also talks about how he got up that morning and went to someone's home and sold them real estate that morning Um, I mean that's important too and he describes very carefully about what it was like to sit across the table from those people Um, and we can certainly take him at his word that exactly what he describes is what happened but it's not necessarily the case and and it's something we've talked about in many episodes before but I think it is kind of a central part about the way that all of us work is that idea that the right choice is the choice that inspires the actor. Mm-hmm. The right choice is the choice that when you think oh this is what happened in those people's house this morning that's the thing that makes telling the story this way feel important to me. Maybe it's because it happens exactly as he described and it was the first time in his life that a sit went the way he planned it to so he's going to tell it to the t and if that means something to you as an actor that is absolutely a terrific choice if he knows he fumbled it but it came through at the end and the important thing is he's feeling good this morning and he just wants to tell that he's going to leave out the part about where he almost got thrown out of the house if that moves you as an actor that's a totally valid choice too Let's talk a little bit about the difference between two kinds of events that can occur between scenes. One is events that are indicated in the text. I mean, as we were talking about, the the sit that Levine goes on is something that is talked about in the text and therefore needs to be dealt with. And also, an option that you always have, is invented events, that you have created that are not indicated in the script, but you have decided happen between scenes. Uh, how are those different and similar and, and, and useful?
0: You know, the described events, you have a parameter to go from to, to build something around. It's kind of like that stick in the middle of the cotton candy. But with invented events, you have free range. So it really is whatever it is that motivates you for the scene, whatever it is that catapults you, and helps you in the scene. So any event that could have happened to you in the meantime that makes you charged for what's about to happen, and you know, so you, you can test those things in your, you know, your rehearsal in your exploratory period, like just trying different things, like thinking about different events that might have happened, and tr- trying the scene out with each of those.
3: Uh, yeah, I find I agree. I find that uh. You have to try a lot of things during the exploratory period, which is why it's called the exploratory period. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, one story I have it, it was a time when uh, I had, to say, I was in a play and I had scene one. And then there was a scene, small scene that happened. I left the stage. small scene happened in between where a lot of information was revealed about my character and things that would hurt my character. And I come back in towards the end of the scene having not heard this information and going about... The rest of the scene. I struggled a lot with it as an actor because I read the play. I had the information. so And I was struggling with this idea, I just did air quotes, idea of um, I'm the girl who didn't know what was just said. I'm the girl who doesn't have this information. I struggled with that because I, Carrie, had the information. And uh, it occurred to me one day during rehearsal because I was standing there watching the scene rehearse, I thought for a split second, or a thought occurred to me why can't this be your character right now? Why can't this be you watching them and they just don't know it? And I, in that moment, decided that I had actually eavesdropped. (laughs) And uh, why that helped me and knowing that I specifically, my character was specifically in the next room eavesdropping over this conversation made my job so much easier when I came in to actively pretend I did not have the information.
1: Well, that's something. I mean, again, something we've talked about often is the importance of making active choices. And it, it actually lying is a very active choice. Deceiving is a very active choice.
3: And we tend to people automatically every any time I've talked about, I make most of my characters lie. A lot of people go to, why are all your characters so deceitful? <laughs> and I'm there's a lots of lies, and we all do all different kinds of them. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a lot of reasons to withhold information and. So.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that that's part of the thing is is it is something that people do is they try to color and shape other people's experience of things in order to try to get them to do what they need them to do uh, to make it seem like it's in their best interest to do what they want them to do. So that idea actually of that your character, I mean, lying perhaps is is a strong word, and sometimes characters are, but certainly you would hope that the characters are always shading the truth in some way.
0: Or omitting.
1: Or omitting things in some way. That if we take it on face value, that the things that they say are both what they think and the only things that they know, well, that's just not realistic. That's just not real. That's not a person. (laughs) Because people don't behave that way. People do make selections about what to share and what not to share. You know, so again, that's why it's important to know things that that actually aren't talked about in the text.
3: Yeah, I would argue 95 to 99% of the time people do that. That every word that comes out of your mouth is slightly carefully thought about and adjusted to the situation. And it's those moments where things come bursting out, then you got to deal with it. because. And I think that the reason those moments are so awkward when they happen is because they're so
1: rare. Yeah. We are social animals. Yeah. And we have a filter. And, and I mean, I think that that's actually a big part of the thing. Because, again, another thing that we have talked about that's important is the importance of listening. And that's why I think it's really helpful to spend the time to figure out, what has happened in the interim between scenes, and not just, again, she had a bad day, but what happened in this day? What happened over the past week since the last time we've, se- we've seen this person? Then again, hopefully, again, when you have done that, you will find, because you can't play all, you know, 72 hours since we've last seen them, but what you will stumble upon is the four, or five, or six things that did happen when you allow yourself to really explore for yourself what happened in that meantime that really are weighing on them that really are on their mind that really are affecting them and that really affect you as an actor but in any case the result of that is that you can listen to the scene through the filter of the place that your character is in their life at that moment because of the things that have happened both the things that have happened in previous scenes and also that have happened in the interim
2: something that
0: keeps popping into my head because of the topic is that a lot of things happen between scenes in Shakespeare's plays that we don't there's a lot of off-stage event that gets referred to or or described but people tend to jump locations and times in those and it, it I keep thinking about like messengers running in mm-hmm. to deliver messages and you know it's one thing to like actually run onto the stage and breathe heavy and also think about the three-day journey and all the things that have been happening like you know your horse you know died and then somebody tried to kill you and you know all the things that you had to do to get to this room to say this thing and how the people react to how you say it has to is so important to you because of what it took. Yes, of course, it's your job. You're the messenger. But, <laughs> like, it's your life to, ha- to deliver this message and to And how people. often
1: does it happen that someone says, hey, bring this message to the king? No, there are more instructions that come along with that. <laughs> so- <laughs> You know, there's supposed to be things you're looking for to report back on or be sure that you give it to him but not to her and mm-hmm. make sure that so-and-so isn't in the room when you get th- I mean, whatever it is that, that your instructions are. And I think, it. I mean, again, it, that does highlight that it is important whatever role you are. Even if you are, quote-unquote, the messenger. Even if you are, quote-unquote, the guard. You know, part of what happens is a guy comes in with a sword drawn, well, you're the guard. Your job is to cross swords with him a few times and then he stabs you because you're a red shirt and you're, you know, and you can, you know, you're <laughs> expendable. You're, you're expendable. <laughs> but that you, your character isn't expendable to himself. Your character isn't expendable to his kids. Your character isn't expendable to his wife. And, you know, that that idea of being sure that you give even the character who's the um the messenger who runs in that that's a scene from a play about his life that we don't happen to see. You know, you need to play that scene as though you were the king. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not as though you were the king, but (laughs) but as though you are as important to the play as the king is because in the moment that you are there delivering your message, you are. One of the other things that, again, links back to Something, some things that we've talked about in the past is the importance that having a clear idea of what has happened between scenes can allow you to believe in what your character does. No matter what your character is and who they are, that allows you to create circumstances leading up to the scene that we see that makes it for you, knowing what you know, which perhaps the other characters don't know and perhaps the audience does not know, it makes it important and right for you to do the thing that that you actually do in the scene. And actually using Glen Gary Glenn Ross as an example again, in the play you have this first act where you just know that he's having a tough time, you know, and is on the verge of losing his job, and the second act where Shelley has robbed the office. But when they made a film of it, there are several scenes that didn't happen in the play that you see um of him having a really horror where he tries to go to somebody's house to sell them real estate and just gets really humiliated by them. And where he's on the phone to the hospital where his daughter is dying and they need money. Now, those are things that don't occur in the play. They do occur in the film. There is no reason, though, that those scenes cannot occur for the character Shelley, even though we don't know about them. Or similar scenes in the play. You know, that idea of creating events that happen off stage that justify what you do on stage, even in those places where, in the world of the play, they don't seem justifiable. And that's fine. That's fine if you are, quote unquote, the bad guy in a moment, or if your character appears like they're being selfish in the moment. That's for the play. That's for the play to decide what parts of these people's lives we see that we can make that value judgment on them. But people generally don't go through their lives thinking, I'm a bad person and that's why I'm going to do this. People do things because they think they are a good person and based on what they know. The good and right thing to do is to rob the office so that you can get money for your daughter's cancer treatment. There actually are probably not a lot of people who wouldn't say if the choice is rob an office and save your daughter or don't rob the office and let her die are going to say, oh, the just choice there is to let her die. It isn't, but just because the play doesn't give us that information doesn't mean that you as the character can't have that information, can't have done the work as an actor on the phone call you receive from your daughter in the hospital that makes it necessary to do what you do in the scene. And it actually is something, if you watch the film, which, I mean, is wonderful performances in it, you can see that reality when Jack Lemmon is confronted, he plays Shelley, when he's confronted with the fact that 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 Williamson realizes that he's the one who robbed the office you can see that his reaction isn't about oh I'm caught but it's about oh my god I'm going to jail I'm not gonna be there for my daughter and even if we didn't have that backstory even if we hadn't seen those scenes that's a really compelling reaction that reaction that he has is a lot more interesting than just the reaction of someone who the only thing the actor knows about that character is he's a guy who robbed an office Mm -hmm. Your job on stage is to be interesting and to be Mm -hmm. compelling and not to color within the lines. Let's talk now for a moment before we wrap up um, about a special kind of circumstance and event that happens in between scenes uh, that I think has has a special importance, which is the moment before. Uh, the either literal second before, the, the, the preceding few minutes before your character walks into a scene. Why is it especially important to have a clear picture of what has happened in the immediate moments before either your character walks into the door into a scene or the lights come up on on the scene, if they're on stage when that happens?
3: I think, um, I mean, from, I think, kind of vaguely but not, for, from an audience perspective you bring a life onto the stage. You bring they f- I feel like when I see a, an actor who comes on stage who clearly has done this work that I'm just catching a moment in their life versus a two-dimensional play out of the script. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For me, I work on the moments before the, the things that le- that are leading me into the scene emotionally separate from the actual moment before. The moment before for me as an actor is something very physical because that will engage me and get me ready to perform. And i just make it specific. I remember when I did a play where I was supposed to be coming in from hiding stuff in a riverbank or like stuff it There was something about... I had done all the work already about emotionally what was bringing her to the moment, the the events that had happened in her life recently and Right before the play, but I, every night right before I came on, I would, there was something about, you know, using sense memory work, which we've talked about before, uh, and remembering dirt, and what dirt feels like under your nails, and what dirt feels like in your hair, especially when your expectation when you walk in the room is that you want to impress somebody. And, but if you're that kid who just is wearing your nicest dress, and you come in to impress somebody, but you have dirt under your nails, like, that did something for me. So for me, it's always something physical. Or sensorial? What's the word? You know what I
2: mean? And well, I think it goes back to what Jen said earlier about finding all of this stuff during the exploratory phase of rehearsal and having that one or two things really click for you and using one thing or, you know, being very specific about that one thing and and using that to to activate you into the scene. Like, kind of, because you have all of this stuff that you've gathered and learned all of this information throughout you know the three week four week rehearsal process and really just using what most activates you like i know what activates me as a person and kicking that in right before going on going on to stage going on to, into the scene
3: and i also feel like the moment the, the crucial parts of the moments before did they completely determine the expectations you have you're walking in with yeah because you're either shedding the moments before, because they, they can't, they, they you've decided they can't interfere with the work you come, came in here to do as a character. Or bringing those events in with you, because they're, they're fuel to help you get to your expectation, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, And, it, and I think that, that that idea of the expectation is, is so important, because it totally changes the way the scene can play. I mean, if you imagine the exact same scene, imagine almost any scene you know of, and if your character enters it and your decision is, I've been pacing in the hallway outside for ten minutes trying to get up the nerve to come in here and rehearsing what I have to say because I don't know how to say it to them, and then walk through the door. Or, I am coming in here because I need something that's in this room and don't expect that person to be, to be there. Those, those, that scene with the exact same lines and the exact same character, and even the exact same need from that other character, will play out very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's a really helpful tool, especially if you know if the if the director says, for instance, you know what, I really want this scene to be uh, quieter at the beginning. That's a that's a, a direction that and that a director certainly can give as a reasonable director direction for the director to give, but it's a really hard thing to do to just be quieter, quote unquote, because that's not what people do. But you can make the choice of I've been pacing outside and I've decided what I need to come in, Is do is I need to come in and be reasonable with him at all costs. And that's what's going to quiet down the beginning of the scene rather than simply, quote unquote, being quieter. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's important to realize I think that That moment before can be anything. And again, even if your character says, oh, I was just running down here to get a stapler, you are not bound to that. Your character can pace outside a room for ten minutes and then come in and claim they were coming to get a stapler.
2: Well, and you can make up stuff. I mean, I feel like you can make up stuff that has nothing to do... With the play, even, if you know it's going to activate you. Like, if you know you have to come into the room and be surprised by something, but you know what's going to be in there. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you have to be excited. Or, like, you can come in thinking that someone's throwing you a surprise party and, like, you're so excited about it. Like, it's because it's your birthday. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, you can make up all these facts that will get you, get you into that scene where you need to be.
1: Yeah, and it can be whatever yeah. gets you there. I mean, again, the answer always is what moves the actor.
0: I think sometimes it's really motivating for me to think about the, the last conversation I had, like who I would just talk, I mean, especially if it, if, I, if it relates to the actual play, like to say, I just had this conversation and this is the last thing they said to me and I'm coming in from that conversation to this conversation, where it's not just that I've been alone all day doing whatever, but that, how did this conversation go and how do I feel about that? And okay, this is the next one or even I wasn't expecting this conversation, I thought I was done for the day and and I can't, I'm not prepared for this because I was done. So in addition to like physical stuff, like you were talking about like where actually I was, what, you know, like what place I was walking through to get here, who was with me, who did I leave, all those things that like the immediate, factual stuff, but just where, you know, what I've been thinking on for the last, or, you know, in addition to thinking forward to what, because like, I think that is true that most of your time you're thinking about what's next, but it's always with, like, what just happened.
3: I think, to, to clarify, too, what I mean by, like, what I do, what I do before, if it serves anyone, is that um, I've already, by the time I get to that, I've already done all the other, what are the actual events that have led up to this day, or led, or led me through this day, and mm-hmm. And for me, and I think it comes from working with sense memory and stuff like that, I'm very clear now and I have very quick references of what sense memory will get me where emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly why I do it right before. Mm-hmm. Because I know that thinking about Earth and being in it grounds me, specifically. So, and in that kind of animalistic way. So if that aligns with what's going on with the character, that's, that's what I think of. could have nothing to do with mm-hmm the facts of the play.
1: Hmm. Well, I think, Jen, what you were saying actually reminded me of, of one of my favorite scenes, just because it's kind of weird. and, it, and it's, <laughs> But it's a scene that actually kind of can mean so much if you've got a really interesting um, uh, moment before or moments before, um, which is a scene in Macbeth where it's after they've discovered the death of Duncan. And the next thing that we see, we've jumped forward a day or so, and it's Ross and this old man. It's <laughs> Ross and an old man, quote-unquote, <laughs> talking about how there have been these weird storms and all of this stuff going on, and a and a, like a dove killed a hawk, and like all of these weird things a have been happening.
0: in the streets or something, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just all of these weird things that are going on since Duncan died. And then Macduff comes out, and... Yeah. They and they talk about how that probably Macbeth's going to be the next king, and that actually is almost something worth a whole other episode about what that all means, because you know the way that the that royalty passed along in Scotland was very different than than happens in England and elsewhere. And I think by thinking, this is a side note, but about that. Automatically, the throne is supposed to pass on to the son of the king. That's not the way it worked, and I think when you think that's the way it worked, the play makes no sense. And I think most productions I've seen of it, they think that's the way it worked. But in fact, the thanes would get together after the death of a king and elect a new king. The leader of one of the uh, different clans would become king of the country and be elected by the rest of the clan, by the rest of the leaders. But anyway. Macduff comes out of that meeting and Ross says, well, I bet they're going to make Macbeth the new king. He says, well, they already did. And I said, oh, are you going to see him enthroned? And he says, no, I'm going home. And that's pretty much the scene. And there's a lot of ways in which it's, you know, it's a lot of exposition. You know, kind of lets us know what's been going on, lets us know that in fact Macbeth became the king. But it also is the first time that anyone as soon as Macbeth is becoming king, you see Macduff do something that's slightly askance towards him by not going to see him. And Macduff obviously becomes incredibly important later in the play. And so to make the choices as Macduff about what it was like to sit in that room, who did he want to win? Did he think he was going to be elected? Was he backing someone else? Did he back Macbeth? Making those choices about what has happened in that hour and a half before the play. And also the fact, which is interesting, is that he has left the meeting. The meeting is still going on. Why did he leave? And to make those choices as Macduff will really color the way in which he he conveys this information. And it's also interesting that you've got, quote unquote, the old man hanging out with them. You know, and so, Again, when you're talking about the immediate moment before, is he on his way to his horses and surprised to find these guys out here at all? Or was he, in fact, looking for Ross? Because we know they're they're relatives, they're cousins and friends. Was he looking for Ross before he left? And is there a message he's trying to convey to Ross that he cannot say outright because this old man (laughs) is standing here? Is there something that just happened in that meeting that is the reason he's leaving? and it actually could be a very interesting thing potentially if the thing is that he actually was the one who championed Macbeth and now that that's happened he's going on his way and he feels like he doesn't have to go see him enthroned because he just made this big show of wanting to be king or did he champion somebody else or did he champion himself or was he put up against Macbeth by some people or I mean what was it that happened in that room that has caused him to come out here is going to change in a very real way the way that he tells that story but by extension it really is even though we've seen him before it really is our introduction to him as an important character and there's so much by making those specific choices about what led up to him coming out and talking to ross about this that can really color what our expectation of this character is going to be for the rest of the play
0: and to to take away like all the stuff that we've been talking about today as if you were playing Macduff and you came out and just said those things and just w- were thinking, Oh, I was just in a meeting, now I'm going home. And it just occurred to you in that moment, Oh, I think I'm gonna go home now, instead of being on your way home and stopping to tell someone about it. Like the difference in a performance where someone's like, Hmm, I think I'll go home now. And someone who's been in like one of the most important meetings of their life and how do they feel about that and what it's gonna affect them for the rest of the year, you know, coming and having that conversation. It's just like night and day.
1: Right. And by the same token, there still is time to make that choice of it is possible and totally valid for him to be on his way home when he runs into them or to come out to have a smoke and run into Ross and in the process of talking about it make the decision True. that I'm going home now. Based on this conversation and based on what I realize I think about what just happened in there, I'm it's going best home. That I you know that's easy. Yeah. So are you going to sc- to Scone to see him enthroned? It's not enthroned. It's another word. But and and he says no. I'll to Fife. That that's a again very different line reading. Very different thing. If it's no, I've already decided to go home. Or you know what? Now that you mention it, I'm just going to go home. And hopefully, Ross, you know what I'm saying.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or and Ross, are you coming with me? or are you not I mean there's a lot of things that that's could be actually in that really, one I never line.
3: thought of that that's actually something i got to file away in my to do <laughs> thing in my brain of when when there is a situation where there's a third like there's a one or two characters in the room when you come in making the conscious choice that... i, that's, I don't think i've ever consciously done that that there's I'd be having a whole different conversation
0: with you if they weren't here. Yeah. Well, that's something, something about playwriting. Yeah, like really the, interesting. The, the dynamic of a three person scene versus a two person scene is that yeah. so much of what you do in your life is planned for a private conversation. And it rarely is that. That's really interesting. I don't remember that.
1: And Macbeth actually is a terrific play about that, especially if you read the Holinshed Chronicles, which is the histories that Shakespeare read and based the plays on, that there are some things that you realize based on what is true of Lennox, the historical Lennox, for instance, and the, the allegiance that he actually had to Duncan, the fact that he is there for certain things, even though he doesn't play a significant role, there's a number of scenes where he has one line, and I am of the belief it is to put him in the room, because to have someone who is so allied with the former family in the room, the former ruling family in the room for the conversation totally changes the way they need to deal with each other, and it, I mean it's it's actually I mean Macbeth is really very much a political story, and again it's I mean it's probably I could go on about this for for hours, but I, but I, but it's based again on on the very basic I think common misunderstanding that that uh, Scotland worked under a system of primogeniture, which it didn't. They had worked under a system called the tanistry, which was they elected their leader. So, it, I mean, that's actually that's actually the reason why Macbeth had to kill Duncan when he did, because Duncan had made this big show out of saying what a terrific guy Macbeth was and what a terrific leader he was. And he says, you know what, when we get back to my castle, I'm going to tell you about how great everyone else is. Well, that puts a ticking clock on it. Macbeth knows I want to be the next leader. That guy's old. He just announced his son is going to be the next king, which is totally against the rules. And so I'm going to kill him now so that I'm the next king instead of if it's next week, Van is going to become the king. And it's actually so interesting because you think, well, you know, did Shakespeare really knew that? A, we know he read the histories. But B, if you look at the end of the play, the what Malcolm does is become kings. And he says, everyone at the same time, I'm making you all earls because you're all terrific. And no does one will make, kill me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. doesn't make the same mistake that Duncan did, which was singling out at the beginning one person as the terrific guy. You know, And it's also historically true that Donald Bain ends up coming back and killing Malcolm to become king. So it's a whole uh, cycle, Sick. but that's another thing <laughs> altogether. I think maybe that ride-off into that tangent might be a good place to wrap up. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that, that, that to sum up, though, a lot of what we're talking about is that One of the things that really as actors we work on is the moment-to-moment reality of a scene and to make sure that we are there, we're with the other character, when something happens we react to it. And essentially what, knowing about what happened in between the scenes, and especially the moment before the scene that happens, is it is making those moments that we happen to see, moments we're privileged to see, but that are part of a long chain of moments that our characters don't exist to be in that play. They have lives, and we peek in on those moments. And it's, it's, it's important you know, to give them the rest of their moments, and especially their moments right before, so that when they walk through that door, they're not walking into the universe. They're just walking into a part of the universe that we can see. So for all of us here at the Cry Havoc Company, thank you very much for joining us. If you are not subscribed and would like to, go to iTunes and subscribe. If you are subscribed but want to let other people know about the podcast, tell them. Or go to iTunes and write us a review and give us stars. If you'd like to know more about the Cry Havoc Company and projects we're working on and public events that you can come see, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. And if you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at cryhavocompany.org. So for myself, Kerry, Jenny, Jen, and everyone at the Cry Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: You can learn more about the Cry Company at cryhavocompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavocompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe.